And so, so after much, much prayer, I came up with today's title. You're going to like this. If you want to have a good Thanksgiving, don't be a turkey. That, that, thank you, one of you. I'm serious. Listen, it's funny. I know it's just a funny. And my wife said, oh, that's so you. Um, that's a Jeremy Varner sermon title right there. Uh, but um, if you want to have a good Thanksgiving, don't be a turkey. Now, as I do the study today, you're going to hear that's really going to make sense. It's not just a funny, it's a punny. But it's, uh, anyway, that's today's title. So if you're taking notes, if you want to have a good Thanksgiving, don't, don't be a turkey. Uh, I think it was Kevin James who said, when it comes to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is good for my stomach. It's bad for my pants. <laughs> and anyway, um, I think a lot of us are going to find that out this week, that Thanksgiving's mm-mm, good for the stomach, but bad for the pants. But when you think of this title, I want you to think also of a passage of Scripture, Psalm 14, 1. And it says this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And there's many turkeys, many fools around us that say there is no God. I want to show you a video. And as you see this video, how anyone could look at this and listen to the lyrics. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. And how we can even ponder the thought that there is no God amazes me. Check check out this, this video if you would. And ask yourself as you watch it. And you'll see there must be. There must be a God.
Pretty amazing, huh? Children's Church, you can be dismissed. Take and turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 95. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I watched that video, and I never get tired of watching that. If you uh, want to go online, you can find it. It's, it's called Creation Calls. You can just do a Google search. You can probably find it on YouTube. And I look at that, and, and you see the, the handiwork of God. And I know it's, it's general revelation. And yet, not only has God given us general revelation, He's given us specific revelation, special revelation. And it all points to Him. We've been doing a study, just started this past Wednesday night, on the supremacy of God. And I made the comment, uh, our former speaker that was here, uh, Jeremy Sams, uh, we were having a conversation at the house, and he, he used this as an illustration. He said, you know, if you've ever noticed a baby, you have a, a, a baby and you'll, you'll point to something, you'll say, oh, look at that, look at that, trying to get their attention to look at something. And what does the baby do? The baby goes and just looks at your finger. It's amazed by your finger, and you're trying to get it to look over here, and it's like, ah. And yet that's how we are. God has given us creation to point to Himself. And we get caught up in just the creation. And, and hence science, looking just at the creation. But it's, it's bigger than that. It's pointing to a creator. It's trying to show us something. Psalm 95 says this. O come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today... If you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter 
my rest. Father, my prayer today is that you be glorified. I pray that our hearts would be attentive. And Lord, that um, in this time we have together this morning, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw us. I pray that you would teach us. And Lord, that when we leave out of here today, that we would be changed. As we focus this week on a, a special week of thanksgiving, Lord, may every day be thanksgiving. Help us to have a heart attitude, Lord, that does represent a heart of gratitude. You are worthy of our praises. You are worthy of our worship. And so, Lord, we humbly bow in spirit and heart today to do just that, to worship you. We give you praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you are taking notes, three points I want to hit on today. One, He is a great God, verses 1 through 3. Point two, He is a glorious God, verses 4 through 7a. And the third point, He is a grieved God, verses 7b through 11. Let's take a look at the first point. He is a great God. Verses 1 through 3 tell us, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. He's a great God. This passage, as you read it, 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 it tells me something. It says that we are to hallow Him. We're to hallow Him. We're to reverence Him. We're to respect Him. One of the first things he talks about here is, is this idea of worship or service. Singing. Shouting. That's just one aspect. When we gather here and, we, and we, we sing songs, I know it's real easy. A lot of times in church, if we're not careful, we just sort of go through the motions. But in those times where we have a stirring, where we're sort of awakened in our heart, and those songs are fresh, and we, and we look to the Lord, and, we, and we, we're genuinely lifting that, with our whole being to praise and to worship, to sing those songs in that manner, in a joyful manner. That's the way we should be when we gather here. And I know life chokes that out sometimes, doesn't it? Those uh, morning spats you might have in the midst of getting ready or the drive over when somebody cuts you off. Sometimes if you're not careful, you come in here with, the, with a bad attitude. But can I encourage us this morning that in those moments that we, we come in, we sit down and we, and Lord, help me to get, a re, get, to get refocused. And I, my prayer this morning is that as you hear this message, as you leave here today, that's what will happen. That you'll go through this week, you'll go from this point forward refocused. And that's something we have to visit daily, is it not? I mean, we have to repent daily. Coming before the Lord. Uh, he is a great God. We should hallow Him through worship 
or, or service as it may be defined. And, and notice also in this text when I read this, it says, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. We should do this willingly. We should do this willingly. Uh, I think this speaks to sanctification. That word thanksgiving, that's one of the, the, the way it's defined, uh, is, is sanctification. Uh, Romans says it this way when it comes to our act of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you. Paul's begging. He says, I beg you. I urge you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. We sang that song this morning, Lord have mercy. What a, what a cleanse, heart cleansing song. I mean, how you could sit and, and hear that song and sing that song and not reflect and not find yourself humbled in heart. Lord have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations translate it, your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, in our worship, in our service, be it song or be it uh, any, any daily act of service, whether it be uh, the, the sanctification process that should be happening in our lives as believers, growing in our walk and our understanding of, of God's truth, it's willingly. You know, this week being Thanksgiving, I don't know what your customs are in your, in your family. I know most of it, you know, it's gotten to the place of it's centered around the eating and, and uh, some football, and that's fine. But church, can we take some time to really say thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for all those blessings. Thank you for who you are. Let us see the creation around us when you're traveling. And let's see what it's pointing to. It's pointing to God's glory. He's a great God. Verse 3 says, For the Lord is the great God. And the great King above all gods... Now, this doesn't imply that there are other gods. There's only one true living God. But you know, just like man does, we have a tendency to create gods, don't we? We form gods. Used to, and in, in, in these days, people you know, would, would make idols. And that's what we think of oftentimes, somebody making an idol, uh, maybe out of clay, out of sticks or whatever, rocks, and, and they worship it. But we make idols in our heart, don't we? I mean, we don't see it as idols, but that's what it is. That's what it becomes. Anything that, that comes in front of our relationship with God. You know, um, I heard people say, well, you know, the, now technically, brother, Jesus, uh, he, he's, not, he's not king yet. He hasn't come and reigned on earth. Look, this passage tells me, and there are many other passages in Scripture, Colossians, and I could go through several others. The Lord is over all. 
He is king. He's in control. He's the Lord of all creation. And it's interesting because when you think about uh, uh, the idea of forming idols, notice what the text begins to do in these next several passages. It begins to speak to God's hands and that He's the great God who who forms and creates. Notice what He says here. He is a glorious God, verses 4 through 7a. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His. For He made it. And His hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. You think the psalmist wants us to understand this? You think the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that our God is a glorious God? And when I see this, that He's a glorious God, it reminds me that we should humble ourselves before Him. Why? Because He's our Maker and because He's our Master. He's our Creator. He's our Caretaker. Notice uh, verse 6. This is the reason. He says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. Humbleness of heart. Humility. And what are we in lieu of who He is? When I look at the creation, when I look at the vastness of the universe, I'm a speck of a speck. I mean, you talk about humbling? And yet man is so prideful, are we not? I mean, you watch a sporting event and all the, you know, celebration and the, the pride. And yet we live that way daily too, don't we? Quite often. God's a glorious God, and that should cause us to want to humble ourselves. He is our maker. He's our creator. As I I look through these passages, direct reference of what His hands have formed in comparison to the the hands of man that form false gods. They don't even come close to comparing. Therefore, we should humble ourselves. He's our master. He's our caretaker. Notice, notice there in this final portion of that. It says that uh, we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. You know, He made us. He formed us. He has a right to direct our paths. Now, He's created us, though, with choice, has He not? And you can accept or you can reject You can worship the Creator, or you can worship the created. And I think that's what it boils down to. Those who choose not to worship the living, true God end up worshiping self, in essence, because uh, they're the Lord of their life, in their opinion. No one's going to tell them what they should or should not do. I think it was Harry Ironside who 
tells the story of one day he went to eat in a cafe. And he sat down and he began to say his blessing over the meal, as he always did. He was giving thanks. And someone had come over and sat down. And when he finished praying, the gentleman asked him, Excuse me, sir, are you okay? Yes. Why do you ask? He said, well, I noticed you, you had your eyes closed and your head down. Are you, you feeling okay? Do you have a headache? Oh, no. He said, well, was something wrong with the food? No, I was just giving thanks. Immediately the man scoffed. Huh, you're one of those, huh? Well, I want you to know, I don't thank anyone for my food. I'm the one who worked hard. I'm the one who, uh, by the sweat of my brow, I'm the one who, who has uh, been diligent to earn my paycheck. And so when I pay for this meal, I don't have to thank anyone. I, I don't need to show thanks to anyone. I just dive right in. Harry looked up and said, Yep, you're just like my dog. He does the same thing. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? I mean, a, 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 a lot of people, that's their attitude. They don't recognize God for who He is. They don't recognize that every good thing is from His hand. But as followers of Christ, we need to recognize that. He's a great God. He's a glorious God. But I also see in this text, and this is where I want to spend the remaining time, is that He's a grieved God. Or he's a grieving God, maybe, if you want to put it that way. Notice the second part of verse 7. He sort of changes direction here. He's, he's been giving a call to worship. Now he's kind of going to give a call to obedience. Because we see today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest he's a grieved God they would not hear they hardened their heart you could say they were unwilling There was unbelief. They were deaf. There was doubt. Turn with me in your Bible to Exodus. What is the psalmist David referencing here? Over in Exodus 17, mark your spot in in Psalm, and let's go over to Exodus 17. And you'll notice in verse 1 of 17, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, 
Why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You see, you remember the story of how the Israelites, they've been delivered out of Egypt. I mean, they've seen all the plagues. These miracles of God take place so that they could be set free. And finally, Pharaoh says, let, let, get them out of here. Go. And, and, and Moses leads them out only to get to the, to the edge of the river. And how are we going to cross? And God does the amazing miracle of parting the Red Sea and leads them through the river safely to the other side, only to have Pharaoh and his armies to come through, and oh, that's how it's done, and begins to go through and destroyed as the water comes comes down upon them. These people witnessed that. Not only did they witness that, they also witnessed the miracles, the manna from heaven, the food that was provided, the quail that they ate, the meat. And now, uh, again, they find themselves... I mean, you think about the, the cloud, the, the pillar. You think about all the miracles that have, that have been done that they have seen. And yet, here they are contending with Moses. Is, is God with us or not? Doubt. Unbelief. That's sin. And, and yet... Don't we find ourselves in that same place oftentimes? Look in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, we, we find the, the account as well. And you'll notice in uh, chapter 14, let me just begin the reading in, in verse 11. 14 of Numbers 14, 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I've performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How? Now, if, if you kill these people, 
as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which He swore to give them, therefore He killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But He by no means clears the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generations. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Do you hear that? Did you see that? You see, God's grieved when his people do not listen to his voice, when we're unwilling. When there's unbelief, when we're deaf to what God's trying to tell us, when there's doubt, turn over to Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 3. Again, hold your spot in, in Psalm. Go over to, to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to begin the reading here in verse 4 of chapter 3 in Hebrews. Listen to what the text says. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. This is speaking to Christ. You remember in Hebrews, he's talked about Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Listen to what he says. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, let me pause for a second, a little side note for you. Who, who said this in Psalms? Who wrote this in Psalms? Who's the person who wrote that, penned that psalm? David. This text says, who wrote it? Holy Spirit. Yeah. Hence, the inspiration. We believe that the Word of God is God-breathed. 
All right, here's an example of that. Where the Holy Spirit is being credited for the writing that the psalmist David penned. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You want to know how our hearts are hardened? Right there is your answer. You see, sin gets in your life and it begins to harden you. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, those whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You remember, they were supposed to go into the promised land. They send the spies, and of the twelve, ten come back with unbelief. Caleb and Joshua, hey, we can get this. We can do this. And because of that unbelief, they wandered the wilderness. They died, except for those two. And so you see what unbelief does? Today... We seek to enter into a rest. We seek to one day enter into that promised land. Not earthly, but heavenly, eternally. And yet we still have many who witness the greatness of God, the glory of God all around them. They've experienced miracles in many ways. And yet they say, is God amongst us? You remember one of our speakers talked about how it is oftentimes when you're witnessing to somebody who, who, who will have a question, they, they doubt the existence of God and they'll throw out a question. Well, what about this? And you give them that answer and then they throw out another. Well, well okay, well, what about that? And we talked about they're never satisfied. You give them all the answers to every question they ask. But here's the problem. There's the sin of unbelief in their heart. There's hardness. They they prefer their sin over a Savior. And that's what it boils down to. Verse 18 of Hebrews. And in whom did He swear that they would not enter into His rest, but those who did not obey 
So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as He has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For He has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and a marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. There is so much meat in that portion of Scripture. But let me just sum some things up here in lieu of Psalm 95. God is a great God. He's a glorious God. We see this. It points to Him. Just as those who were delivered out of Egypt saw His goodness, His greatness. Church, how can we not see these things? How can we see these things and yet respond just as the Israelites did? With unbelief, unwillingness, doubt. Because of our wants. Instead of showing that adoration and that humbleness that God deserves for who He is. You see, it grieves God when we hear His voice but harden our heart to it. What has God been saying to you? What's He saying to me? What's what's He saying to His church? Don't harden your heart through through sin, through disobedience. Can we respond with, with, with humbleness? You see, God still extends that grace. He's long-suffering. 
But just like the example in the Old Testament, there comes a time when that long-suffering stops. And what follows is wrath. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart. As the pianist comes to play, I want you to hear this passage. Because I, I, listen, when, when I'm prayerfully preparing this sermon... Um, I, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your personal lives, but God does. That passage we just closed with in Hebrews about it's all, it's all naked before Him. It's all open before His eyes. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're involved in. He knows exactly where you're wondering. And I saw in that passage that they strayed in their hearts. Can I encourage if there are some here today that are straying in their hearts? Can I encourage you to repent this morning? See, sin hardens us. Disobedience grieves God. Doesn't matter how many steps you've taken to, to go away from Him. It only takes one to come home. Can I encourage you to do that this morning? 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There may be someone here this morning that doesn't know Christ. I hope that you'll hear that passage. That you'll hear that voice of God. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I've delivered the message you've asked me to deliver. Lord, I don't know... um, As far as others, but I do know for self. That Lord, um, it's been a reminder to me this week that um, my attitude in worship is, is very important. Lord, forgive me my failings oft times to not reverence you in my life as, as I should in that place uh, of honoring you as a great God. And humbling before you as a glorious God. Lord, help me to hear. Help me to not harden. Because I know that that grieves you, God. Lord, help us all to respond to your voice. And I pray now that you would speak to us. As everyone is quietly praying, I I wonder if there'd be anyone here.
who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know it's time to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're hearing the Holy Spirit of God speak to you this morning, would you respond? I want to pray for you. My prayer will not save you. But I want to pray, if God is speaking to your heart this morning, would you simply lift your hand and pull it back down? I don't know Christ. I need to turn from my sin and put my faith and trust in Him. If that's you, would you raise your hand and pull it back down? Just slip it up nice and high. Nobody else looking around. I don't know Christ. Anyone? Father, you know the hearts of every person. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to work in our hearts and lives to bring about the obedience needed. And again, Lord, for us as a church, as we go through this week, help us to be mindful of who you are. Lord, keep that position in our life. Help us to be willing to hold you in that position. Help us to follow you willingly, humbly. Lord, if there be any sin in the the heart and life of a believer here today, it's a way of lifestyle for them. Lord, would you help us to confess that? Turn from that, and by your grace, walk forward in obedience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to an oftentimes faithless people. Lord, be with us now as we go. Help us as we travel. Keep us safe. Help us to be an example, to be a witness to those that we would see, family and friends, during this holiday time. May we truly express our thanksgiving to You for who You are. We'll give You all that praise because You alone are worthy. We ask it in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.